Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested Jesus by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. They are some of the most beautiful words ever spoken. Love your God with your whole heart, with all your spirit, your soul, and indeed with your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. These words are beautiful because in the most simple and clear and indeed powerful way, Jesus synthesizes all that we as human beings need to know and do to live good, and holy, and indeed righteous lives. They are beautiful words. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Alas, the loving God part is, seems easy enough. We probably do an adequate job of that. The second commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves seems so easy, so simple, so beautiful, so clear. Everybody would agree that this is indeed the golden rule, not just Christians or Jews or Muslims, but people of all kinds of spiritual traditions or no spiritual tradition. <laughs> yes, let us love our neighbor as ourselves. We all agree. But it falls into the category of those kinds of words that are much easier said than done. Even a cursory glance at the news these past few weeks would say, we are not doing a very good job at all of loving our neighbor as ourself. 
the war in the Holy Land is not holy. Once again, that land privileged by God for revelation of his very self is caught up in the horrors of awful war with thousands dying, awful deaths. Where's the love of neighbor in all of that? Lest we forget that the war in Ukraine continues to rage, thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of young people used as cannon fodder to feed the ego of some dictator who wants to be emperor of God knows what. The death, and the destruction, the mutilation, the disaster is beyond words. It is hard even to read that news or watch it on the internet. And yet again, this past week, some guy with a great big rifle walks into a bar <laughs> and then a bowling alley and just begins shooting people dead. <laughs> Why? What for? Where? Where? Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? Whether you're mentally okay or not mentally okay, why would anybody do that? It's awful. And maybe the most awful thing of all about that is the words that precede every news story about it yet again, yet again, yet again. Alas. And the saddest thing of all is that all of this violence, all of this hatred, all of this killing from top to bottom is absolutely nothing new. The horrors we have witnessed in the last century, you know, war after war after war, the disaster of World War II, the disaster of World War I, before that, the Napoleonic Wars, before that, the religious wars in Europe, before that, the Crusades to liberate the Holy Land at the cost of thousands and thousands and thousands of lives and bloodletting everywhere those Crusaders went. And before that, and before that, and before that, pretty soon, you're all the way back to Cain and Abel. And Cain picks up a rock, and he kills his brother. And then when the Lord asks him, where is your brother, with the utmost, probably the first example of primordial snark, he responds, am I my brother's keeper? Alas, we do not do a good job as a human race in living that simple, perfect, beautiful command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And why? Why can't we do that? What's wrong with us as a human race? That it's war after war after war, violence after violence, on top of violence, evil on top of evil on top of evil, coming straight out of our hearts, filling us with anger and hatred and jealousy and fear and allowing us to justify the murder of millions. Where does that come from? 
Well, if we take one step back beyond Cain and Abel, maybe the story of their parents will shed a little light on what's wrong with us when it comes to loving our neighbor. What's their great fault, their great sin? It is not disobedience, really. That's just outward manifestation. Their real sin is that they came to see themselves as independent agents, no longer needing God. They, they came to see themselves as their own gods. You know, we can, we can have the same knowledge of God if we eat this fruit. We can be little gods ourselves. And as soon as people begin to think that in one way or another, even if they never use the word God, as soon as they begin to think that they're the center of the universe, that they're the most important thing here, that everything revolves around them, that they can determine their own lives without anybody else telling them what to do, that they are their own agents and their own subjects in the world, and existentially and essentially they become little gods themselves, then they become able to defend their little portion of godhood with whatever it takes, with whatever it takes. And so Cain, following the example of his parents, figures he's pretty big stuff. He's the center of his own little world. He's become maybe not God-God, but sort of like a little God himself. And when he's threatened by his brother, he clobbers him and leaves him dead in a field. So that's what's wrong with us, is that we make ourselves into little gods. And our turf, our position, our rights, our everything become utmost. They become our prime concern that we have the privilege to defend. Alas, alas, alas. So Jesus tells us what the great commandments are. The first one is particular to the religions that believe in one God, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, maybe a few others. The second one is universal for all humanity. Love your neighbor as yourself. When, when Jesus teaches that little lesson, when he reminds us of that basic truth with such clarity and purity and, and, and extraordinary grace, he's not just giving us words, he's giving us his life. He's showing us how to do it by what comes after. Though he is God, he lets go of his godhood. Though he has rights and privileges, he lets go of his rights and privileges. The Greek word is kenosis. He pours himself out. He leaves heaven. He leaves his godhood behind so that he can be one with us and that he can thereby show us that we are sisters and brothers and nobody has God over the other. That's how he treats people, whether it's the leper or the sinner or the prostitute in the street or whomever. He treats them as sisters and brothers, not as one God lording it over the other. Even to the point where the people who oppose him, the people who are out to kill him, the people who are about to hand him over to the Romans for crucifixion, he continues to love them and he does not fight back. 
because he sees even them as his brothers and his sisters, because he does not deign to be God before them. He's a brother before them. And it's that brotherhood, sisterhood, that equality, that lack of ego, that lack of God, I'm kind of God here, that lack of being the center of the universe, given up by free choice, that allows him to be in the midst of the dross of human evil, a little bit of gold for the rest of us. Jesus shows us how to love our brother as ourselves. And it is up to us as his followers to actually live that, to forego that fake godhood in our lives that Adam and Eve shared with us so unfortunately, to not look on our brother or our sister as a threat, to not fear them, but to love them. That's the Jesus way. That's how we live both of those commands. Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your spirit. And love your neighbor as yourself.